Welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroy. This is Steve Walsh. Hello. And today we're in Battersea. We're in the shadow of Battersea's most famous monument, the Power Station, one of London's most famous monuments. The world's largest all-brick building. Designed by Gilbert Scott, who also designed the Red Post Box. Yes, yeah, an iconic part of the London skyline. Currently being redeveloped, but they'll keep the chimneys, won't they? Yeah, I mean, it's on a Pink Floyd cover. You don't, you don't get rid of that, do you? <laughs> Appeared in TV and film a fair few times over here. Some recent ones I thought were quite interesting, though. Uh, Children of Men, which I've not seen. Apparently that's Very got, good. like, an inflatable pig hang, uh, yeah. floating above it in reference to the Pink oh, Floyd cover. Oh, yeah, it kind cover. of opens there, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, The Dark Knight turns up as a part of a dystopian cityscape. Oh, I didn't notice that. It also um, is in... The Mike Lee film Another Year, oh, okay. which is from about three years ago. Um, Jim Broadbent is like working on a construction site next to it. And in the King's Speech, they use one of the rooms in there to double up as a, a BBC recording suite, which is quite interesting. Sort of go from, uh, let's say, the the urban dystopia of Children of Men or The Dark Knight to uh, quite a genteel com- uh, film about uh, quite sophisticated people smooth areas the BBC you know you don't think of well you don't necessarily think of a power station as being so architecturally beautiful but um, I went on a, um, a river boat ride once it was a work party and we took a boat down the river and like going past it on the Thames seeing it from that angle it was really quite stunning we did an episode uh, a couple of years ago uh, skyscrapers we called it and it was the top 10 biggest structures in South London and Battersea Power Station was high on the list so go and dig in to the episode guide on southlandhardcore.com you'll enjoy that one a structure we haven't spoken about on the show before is Battersea Cats and Dogs Home which is understandable given the fact that you're not a fan of dogs home or cats mainly dogs no I, I, I dislike cats but I have a crippling fear of dogs you know the way people are scared of spiders I'm just terrified of dogs. Like they, it makes me jump just seeing them. You know, there's there was one time we were in the Keisha room in a restaurant, and her foot touched my foot on the table, and I just like lurched out, like and like this man at the other table was laughing, and I was trying to explain that because I have a fear of dogs, if something touches my leg under a table, I'm just like I just freak out. It's no footsie. That's no footsie. The that's the first rule. But yeah, I mean, I've never really had a traumatic experience, but just... And it's nothing to do with particular breeds or even the behaviour of All dogs, breeds. isn't it? Yeah. All breeds, But like, it's sizes. not like they're, they're, they're being, you know, uh, rowdy or putting themselves about. They're just like walking along quite peacefully, but you just don't like to see them. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I had something here on my shoulders, my daughter, uh, a few months ago, walking down uh, through Summer State in Camberwell. Thorland, I think it was, and we were about to go the usual route past the um, caged basketball pitch, and there were these like they were, I think they were cocker spaniels to be fair, <laughs> and they were there was like three of them not on leads, and I I went I just sort of span on my heels and I was like no I'm not going this way, Zav. Daddy's scared of dogs, 
And she goes, it's a puppy, Dada. It's a puppy. <laughs> Bodied. <laughs> but yeah, so we arrive at Batsy Dog's home. And there is a tour which we definitely wouldn't go on. <laughs> but it's just like I mean, a, just going up to Batsy Dog's home, obviously, we run into like half a dozen dogs. Well, no, genuinely, there was one dog just roaming about with no lead. <laughs> just a free for You want in there, mate? <laughs> like you, you pointed out, Steve, there's just a window there. Where like with like a little rug where cats and dogs can presumably just go and make themselves present known to themselves. The public. Yeah. Like Amsterdam, isn't it? Just shameless. The world's most famous dog zone, I imagine. Name another dog zone. <laughs> I mean that's what we're talking about. Is that one that burnt down in Manchester? So I apologise for all this traffic. 1860, Mary Tilby founded the, a temporary home for lost and starving dogs in Holloway. And then they moved out to Battersea shortly after. So, do you want to have a guess, Steve, how many dogs they care for a year? I would say a thousand. In 2011, which is the only year I've got statistics for, they cared for 5,941 dogs, 2,963 cats. I went higher than I thought as well, just because I was like, this is what they do, this is what they do. How many dogs can you reasonably take care of? It's a lot. numbers in there, mad numbers. They must be like getting people getting dogs from all over Britain, yeah? They'd yeah, because like that's got to be like... They're like EU dogs on like benefit holidays. Because <laughs> that's like, I don't know, 15 dogs a day? Yeah, right, right, right. And like right. if you're open for eight hours, mm. like every hour someone's bringing uh, two dogs in. Amazing, amazing. I'm glad we got out of there when we did. I was intrigued by uh, the, the recent fads for celebrity backers you know it's understandable it's a charity doesn't receive any public money so relies entirely on public donations and uh, humans have this thing where they'll do what celebrities tell them to do isn't it? yeah 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 even if it is like paying for dogs oh as you say that please sign up for an Amazon Prime free trial <laughs> it's have you do your Amazon shopping there go on can you do that in the voice of I don't know Russ Allen <laughs> as you're cutting some dog noise you know, <laughs> Yeah, apparently Jacqueline Wilson was the first sort of... Yeah, I'm sure they've had, you know, other celebrity back years, but was like she's got some sort of official role there. And Paul O'Grady's done a lot of work recently. He managed to get a TV show out of it as well, so he's not silly, is he? <laughs> if you can roll some, you know, a bit of like They're career both quite it. philanthropic people, aren't they? Yeah, you'd imagine that. Uh, Michael Owen as well. Oh, uh, yeah. No, so the thing is, like, uh, Paul O'Grady hates the Conservatives, doesn't he? We're in a yeah, Conservative yeah, yeah. constituency. It's, you know, yeah, feel yeah. filthy just being it. But like Michael Owen, like someone retweeted that tweet where he called the guy a peasant. <laughs> Michael Owen owns racehorses. So, I, I mean, I don't want to tar people with a, a, a brush, and I'm sure there's plenty of people working in horse racing that care about animal welfare, but it just seems not sort of conflict of interest. I'm going to say something controversial, and I don't reckon there's that many. Right. <laughs> you know, maybe some of the vets. <laughs> you don't for that. Well, I, I don't know. They'd be the ones putting them down. Anyway, this is all getting very dark. <laughs> not Patsy horses. Right, let's move. Oh on. yeah, we're Michael Owen's finish, though, isn't it? Let's move on to some aviation history. In the arches, just by Tops Tiles, CrossFit Gym, some weird football charity, Bedhead FC. There's a blue plaque for aeronautical engineers, the Short Brothers. Horace, Eustace and Oswald. They worked in these arches here. In 1908, the Short Brothers was the world's first aircraft production company, operating out of Battersea. 
Uh, they eventually moved to Kent, but started over here in Battersea. I mean, they originally went to the Paris Exposition of 1900 and uh, got well into balloons. And they built um, the Rolls-Royce, not Rolls-Royce, Rolls-Royce, Rolls, <laughs> for the Gordon Bennett race. Right. You know about Gordon Bennett? Oh, oh Gordon Yeah, Bennett. I was going to say, yeah. No, never come across them, but it's got to be right turn, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bennett, on those flying balloons. But that's the thing, you wouldn't enter a race with that name, would you? Because you just assume it's a farce, literally <laughs> a farce. <laughs> so not got much more to say than that, Steve, but decent claim, isn't it? They were big Absolutely. in, big in biplanes and, um, and boat planes. You know, right, like, right, from, like right. Indiana Jones and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And the move to Kent makes sense, and it's space. But then there would have been space around here probably at the time, where well, it was sort of cleared for... In Chatham industry. you had, of course, the School of Ballooning, and the uh, of Royal Balloon Factory, or whatever it was called. You could have just had Royal Balloon Factory quite confidently, and no one would have uh, counted you, I don't think. School of Ballooning. <laughs> Jack Black, in it. Carry, carry on ballooning. <laughs> We're outside York Mansions on Prince of Wales Drive, and, I mean, they're without doubt the fanciest blocks of flats I've ever seen in South London. <laughs> like, it looks like the Upper East Side or something, doesn't it? You know, they're all ported. They've been here for... When were they built, did that say? 1899, I think it said, further down the road. That was other ones, but imagine around the same sort of time. And, as you can imagine, they've had, uh, they've had a few uh, famous residents. Show up in the P.G. Woodhouse short story, the something of an ugly policeman, I can't read my notes. But people will know, you know, if Paul Ansorge is listening, then we know he is. <laughs> They'll be glad to hear his name. Yeah, they've all got, you know, parkside views, haven't they? That's the thing. Yeah, that's probably what attracted Noel Coward's parents, Steve. Yeah, Noel Coward lived in uh, 70 Prince of Wales Drive and Prince of Wales Mansions from 1908 to 1913, when he was 8 to 13 years old. And he did his first acting in that time, uh, when he was 11 born in Teddington, and went on to live in Victoria after but you don't, you're not infused um, it's one of those ones where I'm not massive on Noel Cowards have you seen Brief Encounter uh, he wrote the screenplay as well as yeah, the yeah I mean that's one of my top 10 films of all time it's, yeah like I'll watch it once I can never watch it again it'll destroy me I think oh yeah it's absolutely heartbreaking yeah yeah you know, if you're going to use the Amazon link for anything use it for, for Brief Encounter Italian job Steve just going to the other end of his career and he's just like <laughs> pontering about in a dressing gown brilliant he's so good in that though he's brilliant in that here you go Steve number 49 Overstrand Mansions Sean O'Casey lived there from 1927 to 1938 I mean I only know him from the Dexys made that rather song <laughs> can't think about Sean O'Casey yeah yeah you must know him from uh, turning down an OBE and his work <laughs> <laughs> Why would he turn down no pee? Oh, because it's not the British Empire yeah. and saying to Irish people about the British Empire, I mean, what do they think when they offer these people OBEs? Ridiculous, isn't it? Have you read his work and stuff? No, no, I know of him, but never actually read anything by him. As I say, uh, my first thought on seeing or hearing the name is to go to... Uh, Can't think about our school wild. Not the most informative podcast, is this? But, you know, <laughs> we're trying. One final resident, Steve. Fictional. Jim Brannigan, played by John Wayne in the film Brannigan. 1975, John Wayne's third to last film is a film called Brannigan, where he plays an Irish-American cop who 
comes to solve crime, solve a crime essentially not even solve a crime come to catch a criminal in, well, it looks like he's going to be London, the Dulles forever because he comes to pick up a, a criminal who's already been arrested to extradite him but luckily uh, he gets uh, away and abducted before they get a chance to pick him up so so John Wayne comes over there's a sort of some mincing about in, um, in Piccadilly Circus and stuff there's uh, a car chase through Wandsworth and Battersea but John Wayne, he's you know only the best will do. So he's staying in there, staying on Prince of Wales Drive. It's an incredible film, isn't it? It's remarkable. Yeah, I mean, it seems odd, like just coming down the street now, to imagine that this would be where the police would have a flat to put up visiting officers, <laughs> like a safe house or something. But yeah, very plush. He blows it up, of course, doesn't he? Yeah, he. Uh, it, it, it may be the best scene in the film. Uh, he walks into into the flat and there's a, a booby trap of a gun pointed at him. He opens the door and it will shoot him. So he manages to sort of avoid that. Yeah, he's being pursued by someone we're assured is one of the best assassins in the business. But what the guy does is set up a booby trap and then leaves so much grease on the door handle mm. that Jim Brannigan goes to open the door. And instead of opening the door, which is key to this booby trap working, goes, why is there so much grease all over this door handle? I better kick the door open from the side, just to end that, and that uh, works out well for him. And then there's a second trap, of course. The, uh, yeah, he immediately, rather than check anywhere else in the flat, immediately goes into the toilet and looks at it and sort of like smiles, if say, classic, this guy again. And then he sort of, in this strange act of, uh, hang on a minute, let me see if this works, blows blows the side off of the building. He, the he rigs up uh, a wire from the, the toilet handle to outside the door and just as someone else comes along and goes what are you doing he goes just checking something and pulls the ring as if it's being really clever to blow up the flat the residential area rather than uh, get bomb disposal in to take it out yeah so it's not the most intelligent of films but it is definitely in that category of um, just so ridiculous that it's brilliant it's also a film that's so dedicated to showing you uh, iconic scenes and shots of London that when a hole is blown in the wall of his flat uh, in Battersea he gets a clear shot of the Albert Memorial which as someone pointed out online would mean that his flat would have to be in the Albert Hall right <laughs> a film that seems quite odd but people have a lot of affection for it uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are both obsessed by it apparently so in oh, Hot Fuzz sense, yeah. the film's called Brannigan's Farm and the farm is named after uh, Brannigan from the film and in what I think is a uh, quite beautiful piece of uh, uh, homage, in Shaun of the Dead, there's a scene in the pub where someone gets thrown into a jukebox and oh, they, yeah. they found and cast and shot the man who gets thrown into a jukebox in Brannigan in to play the, 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 the wow. guy in uh, Shaun of the Dead who gets thrown into a jukebox just to say they threw someone into a jukebox in the same way as someone did in Brannigan. Oh, that's that, it's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, Great yeah. work. You can see why they'd love it. I mean, John, oh, absolutely. John Wayne's first appearance, he kicks a door off the hinges and goes, knock, knock. And that's, you know, pretty great. The brawl itself in Leadenhall Market is uh, hilarious. You know, mm. Just people just getting punched and thrown all over the place. Another great bit at the end as well, where the assassin finally meets his end, gets shot in the head uh, from a, uh, a pistol that we've been assured all throughout the film is incredibly powerful and dangerous. And uh, what's happened when he gets a, a bullet between the eyes? What's he do? He starts holding the wound. So <laughs> <laughs> Graves said, "Like, oh, that's really going to sting." Uh, we're in Battersea Park now. We've walked 
past the lovely lake, bowling green. Sub- a lot of sport going on, isn't there? Badminton and mm, cricket, cricket and just people having little games of football and stuff. It's nice. Subtropical garden I enjoyed, actually. Yeah? So it's kind of a bit of a cliche of uh, of overcast kind of... Oh, gosh, there's a bug coming. Coming and going. <laughs> See, the, the owner's cracking up. This tiny little dog has just looped around me. And I'm terrified. He's actually quite a handsome She's dog. Laughing. <laughs> I've just thrown me completely. Uh, overcast day. Yeah, right, you know, it's cloudy, but like people are just out having picnics with their families and stuff. <laughs> like, just the slightest hint of sun. Yeah, there's like cracks of sun between the clouds, so people are just like virtually in bikini tops walking through the park, isn't it? Mm. Famous as a dueling spot for a long time. Like the idea of like people just deciding to meet in a place, a couple of pistols. The thing about a lot of uh, duels as well. Uh, it was more a case of just sort of turning up and showing willing rather than actually shooting someone. So a lot of people just firing wider over people's heads. Yeah, it's absolute rubbish, isn't it? <laughs> it's not as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> no. It's not the Wild West, is it? It's the Wild Southwest. <laughs> Park was also the spot of a lot of uh, fields, huge agricultural uh, swathes of Battersea, historically. Battersea bunches. Have heard of those? No. Well, the uh, area was known for uh, asparagus production. Ooh. And greengrocers across London would sell Battersea bunches. And apparently, I was seeing it was like a guarantee of the asparagus's quality. And we saw a, a green plaque as well, didn't we? Yeah, for the first association football match. Yeah, the first football match played under the rules of the recently and uh, nearby uh, form, uh, formed football association. Battersea and Battersea Park specifically was also the home base of Wanderers FC, the legendary uh, team who dominated the early years of the FA Cup. It was one of the main venues for the Festival of Britain, wasn't it, in 1951? Pleasure Gardens. Mm. Pleasure. <laughs> that was half Chris Jones, half Joe Knight. Yeah, yeah that's what I was going for. <laughs> At that time, they had the Battersea Park Fun Fair which was a... Um, it seemed to be quite a major tourist attraction. Like the Bolshoi Ballet went on it, Steve. <laughs> like royals were taking their kids well, the on it. the whole festival of Britain was a smash, wasn't it? So it does feel like... No, they went there in 1965, yeah. Oh, right. But like Such it... a smash that people years after <laughs> would go back. And... But for like 30 years after. Right, right. But then, I mean, disaster struck. Do you know about this? Yeah, yeah. It's a bit dark, yeah. isn't it? It is. I mean, I didn't, I'd never heard of this before, but in May 72... It's a roller coaster, isn't it? Yeah, the roll, the Big Dipper, it you know, it derailed. Five kids. Yeah, five kids died. Yeah, and it's it's odd because like growing up in South you London think in the seventies, yeah, like my parents, like obviously by the time I'm going on roller coasters and going to fun fairs, it's nineteen eighty, so it's obviously uh, like further on, you know, eighty onwards. But you'd imagine there'd have been a sort of. You thought you would have heard of it when you... Yeah, or just a scare. Like, I I can imagine my mum, like, just absolutely refusing to let me go on roller coasters because of that. Do you know what I mean? She she was someone that would fixate on things like that and sort of go, and that's the example of what can happen, sort of thing. The park's also home to the Peace Pagoda, which we haven't gone past. But, again, it's quite um, an iconic image, I think, of people passing through uh, Battersea Park. It does sort of catch the eye, doesn't it? I don't know what it is, but... Oh, right. Big, uh, yeah, pagoda. Sort of What's one of those? A sandal? <laughs> no, it's uh, 
a, a, a Buddhist building. Oh, right. Yeah, so architecturally very incongruous with the surrounding areas. And the park is also now where you can find the brown dog statue, which uh, you talked about at length on our episode on South London's greatest statue, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, it was another strong episode, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. So dig that out. St Mary's Church on the river. Yeah, this is where Battersea is born, essentially. Small village at the mouth of the Falconbrook leading into the Thames. And the church is built around the same time that the, the village forms. Massively significant in a way that I'd never heard of it before. And but there's like so much has happened there. Like William Blake is married in this church. Turner paints through a window from this church. Did you see the recent Turner film, Mr. Turner? I've not. I've heard good things. It's really, really good. Uh, directed by Mike Lee and starring Battersea's own Timothy Spall. Right. Which is yeah, a, maybe a nice little connection. So I highly recommend that. Battersea very much fired north of England's Timothy Spall, though, isn't it? No. Not from Battersea originally, is he? Yeah, he's from Battersea and he now lives in like, Dulwich. He's from South London originally? Yeah, he's from Battersea. And right. um, well, do you know what that is then? That's me not giving Because he does such a good northern accent. Yeah, I the first saw him in Avita's own pet all those years ago and just assumed that he was northern. Yeah, He's an yeah. actual South Londoner. Yeah, I mean, his son, Rafe Spall, is listed as being born in Dulwich, so I presume that means Dulwich Hospital. Right, right. So, yeah, man, he's there, uh, him and Dulwich his Hospital finally produced a good one. Hey! <laughs> Possibly the most surprising discovery about St Mary's Church for me, reading about it, was the fact that Benedict Arnold is buried in the basement. Not a massively important figure in Britain. He would have turned up in uh, an episode of The Simpsons at some point. He'll be in like a treehouse of horror in hell, just in the background. Um, but Benedict Arnold, a byword for betrayal in uh, America. An American general who, during the War of Independence, feels the tide is turning against the Americans, so switches to the British side and leads British uh, troops into battle against the Americans. Then America wins the War of Independence and Bernard Arnold has to move to London. He's given an, uh, an annual pension of £320 a year for life, which is decent, but he's also given a lump sum of £6,000, which I have no idea of extrapolating to a modern amount, but it sounds like a lot now, doesn't it? Let alone, you know, then. You know, I can't think of anything I wouldn't betray for six grand right now. But yeah, it seemed obvious when you read about him that he would be buried in England. He moved back to America, ridiculously, about five years after he moved back to England. I guess, you know... Blown over by then, isn't it? The well, also, War. you don't have media in the same way, do you? Not the Civil War, the War of Independence. Don't want people to think I'm an idiot. <laughs> but yeah, apparently he goes back and opens up a business. You'd imagine not in his name. Uh, but it's not successful, and he moves back to London, where eventually he dies, and he's buried in St Mary's Church, Battersea. There you go. It was raining, so we had to cut our trip around Battersea short. So we're going to talk about the rest of Battersea from the comfort of our homes. Still in South London, though, isn't it? Very much so. We're in Camberwell. We've got the 345. And you say our homes. We're not going to mine after this just for the sake of incompleteness, are we? Yeah, we don't live together. <laughs> more common words, isn't it? <laughs> I'm in the Bido, you're in the Financial Times. The next stop on our tour would have been Salesian College which recently closed down and has reopened after merging with John Paul II. Reopened as St John Bosco School or College. Uh, and they're based in Wimbledon, but they're going to be moving back into Silesian College. 
Is so, it going to be called Bosco College? No, St John Bosco. Right. He was a Salesian. Because if you called it Bosco College, you know, Clown College, that's what everyone's going to think, innit? Salesian oh. definitely sounds religious. Yeah. I mean, John Paul II definitely sounds religious. <laughs> so it dates back to 1895. Catherine Tate went there. Right. Clown College. <laughs> Martin McDonough. The film... Yeah, the Irish Camberwell yeah. playwright, playwright and, and film... Yeah, did In Bruges, which is brilliant. What was the film we did last year? Calvary. Oh, I've not seen that. Is oh, it good? really good. The Irish, set in Ireland, Steve. <laughs> it's really good, though. <laughs> the way you lean towards me as if, like, no, this, this one will be fine. <laughs> oh, Steve, one of our... Oh, no, I was going to say one of our listeners. Let me rephrase that. Someone who once read one of your blogs. Kevin Day. Oh, yeah. There. So he once retweeted your Celebrity, Norwood uh, piece. He did, yeah. Chris Ballas fan. And this is, I mean, is it interesting to say the CEO of Six Flags? Definitely not, definitely not. <laughs> no, but there is the best one. Alfred Hitchcock went there for a week. Right. There's a border. Um, only lasted a week, but yeah. I'm not sure where he went after that. I've joked about Clown College, but these are all people that went on to work in entertainment in one form or another. Yeah. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah, right, right. Well, look, I probably skipped over a load of boring like, army types. It's always <laughs> the way. You go on Wikipedia and look at the, the alumni and it's just like brigadier, etc. Yeah, yeah. But it's usually, there's usually a trend of some artists, some sports people, some, you know, film. But the, the fact that these people are all very firmly in entertainment. Even Six Fags. And speaking of entertainment, seasons one and two of the BBC sitcom Bad Education were filmed there. It's a Jack, Jack Whitehall, the uh, very posh... I don't know if he's a comedian, but he he's one to do a lot of jokes. He's one like um, or the King the of Comedy or some sort of equivalent award at the British Comedy Awards. I think the last two or three years running. Right. Which I think is a terrifying indictment on the current state of British comedy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I did. I watched Matthew... I think Matthew Horne might play the head teacher. I, I, I watched an episode in the middle of season two because that's all that was on the iPlayer. Um and do you know what, Steve? It was it was a bit. It was kind of amusing. Was it alright? Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing I, the trailers I, for it and thinking I have no interest whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd continue to watch it, but it, it was certainly. Dead. I enjoyed it more than outnumbered and pulling. <laughs> but yeah, they filmed. Crazy indeed. <laughs> Salesian College had just closed, um, so they filmed. That was the school they filmed in for the first two seasons. I don't think we would have bothered visiting Clapham Junction, would we? We went past it twice on the. On the bus. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's an important part of the transport infrastructure, but not necessarily... Europe's busiest train station is what it says up there, which is it, which is uh, surprising. I remember the first time seeing that as a kid, being quite shocked. You get that kind of Battersea clap and blur at that point, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. The Whole Foods at Clapham Junction says Whole Foods Clapham, and people just went mad about it. Like, why have you got <laughs> Clapham on your apron? Get Battersea on your apron. You know, do you think it's important? It's not important, but it's telling, isn't it, about why these companies want to do that? Where the, you saw the spot of the same thing with the Asda, didn't you? Yeah, the Asda across the road says, "Welcome to Asda, Clapham Junction, comma Battersea." I wonder if that was in a, uh, in reaction to the Whole Foods thing. I mean, there are a lot of things where area names are changed um, for quite dubious reasons, like you know, this whole kind of every area trying to encroach on Woolworth, you know, East Kennet and and stuff, you know, South Elephant and Castle, North Camberwell. I mean, I'm exaggerating a bit there, but plenty of those things, and they start calling things, you know, Penge Village and stuff. 
And it was a similar thing with this. They wanted to use the name of Clapham rather than Battersea. But did they? Apparently that was the reason. Who are we talking about? uh, Sort of like planners and people working for... Back when they built the train station. Yeah, which seemed odd because like... That's a long old time ago. Absolutely. And And, and it's kind of a... It's natural for... For people to go, oh, Whole Foods, if you say Whole Foods Battersea, whereas Clapham, Clapham Junction's right there, yeah, I don't yeah. think that the, the um, intentions are necessarily bad. And also, for me personally, I uh, think Battersea sounds nicer. I, 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 I prefer the idea of Battersea, a place to, to Clapham. Not a big fan of either, to be honest. But Ah, oh, you want one over today? No. Nah. It's just it feels Tory as you're going around, doesn't it? Do you not think? Yeah, it does. It Every does. it feels very oppressive. It feels very. It feels like they've won. Yeah. It's extremely middle class. I mean, they literally did win. Yes, like, absolutely. Two yeah. weeks ago. No, but it, it, it's the thing of like you. You just sort of uh, as we sort of got the bus and started walking into it. I did. You get a feeling just looking around and seeing the kind of people that are there. The cars were a very telling thing for me. Just the type of cars and the, you know the things that are. Around yeah, you got watching. quite upset at a Lotus, didn't you? <laughs> um, and just the kind of shops and the kind of shoppers, and you get the feeling that this is what the Tories and, to be honest, now Labour want London and Britain to be. And you're like, fair enough, but it just seems very bland to me and very dull. Yeah, there's no edge to anything, is there? It's all very like every corner you turn round. You know, this is the thing about London, or certainly in the past, the recent past, is that the nice areas, for want of a better phrase, or the affluent areas, are never very far from from the rougher areas again, for want of a better phrase. But I don't know. Today, it just felt like we were walking for a long time through only nice parts. Right. You know, say like in like say like Campbell Grove, for example, like it's literally half a street is nice. And then, like, you can't go more than half a street and you've got, you know, kind of run-down council flats or whatever or shops with, you know, d- damage at the front and litter and things like that. And I think that kind of grimy stuff does appeal, doesn't it? But I think it's also just it what it does to a place. Like, as I say, walking through, is all, it, you know, it's a bank holiday weekend. It was a relatively nice day till it started raining. So there was a lot of people around. So it, it felt busy, but it didn't feel like there was any particular buzz around the place as you say there's no sort of too edge white to for it. you Steve well just dull it just seems very dull but every part of it just like the shops and the street it just looks very and it is I guess part of that is the fact that as you say uh, everything's very polished and it is very clean and that has a particular appeal and a particular aesthetic but and I'm not saying you know I want things to be grimy and messy but it just it just looked very tidy and controlled and for me that is dominance. And there is a thing as well about, as you say, the relative proximity of, of affluent and less affluent areas in that if you create these these bubbles, then there's a, there's no sort of tension between the places and then there's nothing that sort of comes out of it creatively. I mean, we're going to talk about... Yeah, well, let's do that now. Let's move to the, you know, the, the slightly grimier part, if you like, where creative things are coming out. Battersea Arts Centre on Lavender Hill. Yeah, it's a great example where... It, it sort of sits on the edge, doesn't it? It's not in the central part of Battersea, it's on the edge and therefore... And it is, it's a place that's set up to be a bit more avant-garde, a bit more experimental. It's about looking at works in progress and watching them develop. You know, and it's a, a, a fascinating space. It was the town hall. So you've got this big open space and this very grand space, very grand frontage. But it's nice that 
It's as, got like a fringe spirit, hasn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. If it if they carried the look of the place into the tone of the place, then I think it would be a haven for very mannered, polished, clean work that, again, would be very dull. But they do support a lot of things, you know, um, just reading about it, the things that leapt out were things like Punch Drunk and Combat Opera, who do things that are very immersive and interesting and, and fresh. Yeah, maybe the big success story would be the Jer- Jerry Springer, the opera, written by Stuart Lee, the stand-up comedian, and music by Richard Thomas. Um, and it started off there, very small scale by the sound of it, and became like a huge phenomenon. Yeah, it was a, a cultural phenomenon, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was, you know, selling out every night, obviously. It was, and... Uh, you know, it ended up basically, I think they're called Christian Voice. They just went on and on and on about it and just basically just shut the whole thing down, essentially. Right, right. You know, they were successful in doing that, really. You know, it was on the they, sh- they showed it on the BBC, uh, filmed production of it, obviously. Um, and it got 55,000 complaints. Right. And, like, that's a decade ago. And that just, for that, that to happen in the 21st century, because Jesus and the devil were being depicted, essentially with you know swearing and comedy yeah, and stuff yeah. is is just extraordinary like i watched um I, I watched a bit of it i watched the first 25 minutes or something i didn't really get a lot of it to be honest it's you know you're filming a play for a start right, so that's right. your first problem but um it's a play which for you is the yeah same which problem. i hate <laughs> it's an important moment in Stuart lee's career like i don't we talked about, we mentioned uh, Stuart Lee and his mates, didn't we, uh, a couple of weeks ago on the show. But, like, Stuart Lee is now, one of, the, in my opinion, one of the top three or four stand-up comedians working. Whitehall. <laughs> <laughs> He's number one. Uh, we like, established that. The, the best British stand-up comedian working, I think. He is, I think. The best. It, it, it's just incredible. It'll, yeah. it'll go down and, you know, it will it will stand the test of time, I think. Absolutely. It's just absolutely phenomenal work. And because it's bold to... and edgy and different. Mm. It's all the things we talked about earlier about what you're looking for in art. You're looking for things that are... He's not just going out and going, here, this is, you know, a pattern and a rhythm that you'll recognise from other stand-up shows or even my own stand-up shows from 10 years ago. Because he's a mm. funny guy and he could go out and do a straight stand-up show. Yeah, right. And, absolutely and that's it. the thing. And the other of my three or four favourite stand-up comedians are all going up and just doing really funny jokes, right. essentially. Yeah. But he kind of, he, he's doing something that's just sort of never been done before. The way he breaks it down, it just, it almost, it brings... It takes meta to like a new level. I mean, I implore you to go and listen to some of his stand up or watch it or download Stuart Lee's comedy vehicle. But, you know, so, I mean, we don't want to go on more about Stuart Lee, but he kind of, he was a stand up. We do, but. (laughs) But no, but going quickly, going to the point about the Jerry Springer opera is that he did a lot of stand-up comedian... Uh, he did a lot of stand-up comedy in, like, I guess, the 80s and 90s... Late 80s, probably, in the Yeah, 90s. very late 80s. 90s is when... Yeah, he 90s. Did, like, TV sketch comedy and various things and ended up doing this. And as he says himself, he was on the verge of becoming a millionaire from from Jerry Springer. I imagine he probably did well out of it. Oh, yeah, anyway. Yeah. And they, like, these um, groups just, like, completely stitched him up. And I don't, he doesn't seem to be that bothered about the money. I mean... That's just a you know that's just a fact, but I mean the fact that he was doing the he was doing provocative work and it actually got shut down by you know like Woolworths and Sainsbury's refused to sell his DVDs. I mean that's just criminal, isn't it? <laughs> but what you know that Jerry Springer that falling to pieces is what sort of 
it was pivotal in making him the stand-up comedian he is now. He says that he sort of he gave up on trying to make um, provocative work that was sort of palatable for the masses, and he just sort of the way he he's so single-minded in his his stand-up comedy, and that couldn't have happened without that kind of sort of success and failure happening at the same time. So yeah, I mean, about the Arts Centre, um, a pivotal moment. Uh, yeah, he he um, he goes in his book about stand-up comedy, which again is just superb. He talks about the Battersea Arts Centre, and I've heard him mention it so many times. He really sort of he holds it in high regard. It's not just like they happened to do this piece of work or this theatre, but like it really was important. No, it's it, it is that's the the, the testament to the place where it's a place that's designed for a piece like that to thrive. It's not someone that's going to shy away from. Uh, difficult subject matter, shy away from the fact that they want going to want to do things that are unorthodox. They embrace that and celebrate it. So if you go back to 1927, Bertrand Russell, the philosopher, first gave the talk that would then become an essay, Why I'm Not a Christian, at a National Secular Society meeting at the Battersea Arts Centre. Apparently Christian Wright went mad. They stopped sending these DVDs and wolves. <laughs> yeah. uh, massive kerfuffle. But that was... Um, I listened to the, uh, an audio thing of it on YouTube, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's some of it. It seems so obvious now, like the arguments he makes against things, but it must have been like groundbreaking. Absolutely, stuff. yeah. I mean, well, as I say, we're talking about someone almost a hundred years later who's handed out doing work by mm. Christians. So you know, at that time, have you ever been there? I have. I have performed at the Battersea Arts Centre. <laughs> oh right, tell me more. You don't, you know about this. Yeah, but I mean, oh, is this how... a stage show me more? Yeah, but because partly cause I can't remember. But <laughs> so it was a, you, it's a load of people, performance art, yeah. It was a they did a show that was about storytelling, and the idea was that you would you would tell a story within a space, um, and you'd be placed in the space, and they would bring a group of people past, and as they stopped in front of you, you would just tell the story, and it was for like two nights, and they did about five shows a night, so basically. You just tell the same story ten times over to different groups of people. But it was like curated and you're placing different things. So like my story was about, uh, it was I was grouped together with this thing of family. Uh, and my story, I'll tell a very abbreviated version of it. Mm. It's quite a short story anyway. But my story was about me working in Fortnum and Mason. And I was there one morning and I was restocking a low shelf. So I'm wearing waistcoat, tailcoat, uh, uh pinstripe trousers very sort of swish outfit but I'm sort of crouched down restocking this low shelf and suddenly I get a massive kick up the arse and it sends me flying into the shelf oh it's your uncle <laughs> well yeah I turn around and I was like what's happening I put a mental on the shelf and my uncle uh, who lives in San Francisco most of time doesn't come to England very often <laughs> I had no idea he was coming <laughs> to London uh, he's standing with a big grin in his face and I'm sort of like just pulling myself together and I don't even get a chance to say anything to me. He just looks at me and went, oh good, it is you. <laughs> and I was like, you weren't sure? And he was like, I was 90% sure. And I was like, be 100% sure. And I, mm. um, so yeah, I had this story about my uncle kicking me up the arse while I'm stacking a shelf in Fortnum and Mason. And because of the, obviously the content I want, they themed it on the family. But I was like in between one woman who was telling this story about her father remarrying and the horror that was this wedding day where she was watching her father give away his love to this woman that she hated. And on the other side is this woman whose father 
was had rejected her because uh, she'd become a Rastafarian and like started wearing dreads in her hair and like so it's all these stories about sort of schism and in family and conflict in family and then me in the middle sort of going and he kicked me out the arse <laughs> really hard but yeah it was um great uh, crack. <laughs> it was the, the crack was mighty um yeah it's a fantastic place and yeah uh, it was a lot of fun to do yeah I went to a wedding there um great venue. You say great venue, but me and Lakeisha looked around for our wedding, and she was like, "No, it's too dirty." <laughs> and it is a bit. I mean, and you know, Dulwich College was nice. That's to be fair. Yeah, to be fair. Northcote Road. You know, let's skip over that. Nappy Valley. Go on, I just want to say Nappy Valley, and tell me about Nappy. I'm Valley. a big fan of Nappy Valley as a place, to, uh, a way to describe Northcote Road. It's talking about the affluence of the area and the idea of of young. Uh, Want to again a better phrase? Yummy mummies who uh, brunch in, in in the road in the various cafes and how it's become a, a, a shopping haven for um, the middle classes. But I like the phrase Nappy Valley because it's a strong pun, but also geographically accurate because between the Thames and the Falconbrook River, you have a genuine valley within that road. So you know, good work, everyone. Good work. Before we go up Latchmere Road, Steve, and then bang left onto uh, our final destination, which I'll save for a moment. Give me some uh, residents that you want to talk about. So Solid Crew. Obviously, we're So Solid oh, Crew. every single week. This is the thing, isn't it? They dot all the way across South London. Who is it? So Mega you Man. Could have, um, I don't know. It's about, there's a few of them from Winsandley, I say. And but yeah, as you say, it's a crew, so you can't, it's very hard to sort of pin them down to a specific spot. Johnny Briggs? When I say Johnny Briggs, what does that mean to you? Train Robber. No. Oh, um... Oh, it's kids TV. Uh, that's what I was going to say. That's what I thought your first go would be. Yeah. Yep, it's two goes. Third time's a charm. Coronation Street. Mike Baldwin from uh, TV's popular Coronation Who's Street. That? He owned like a factory. He was like a cockney wide boy yeah, up right. in Manchester. He was like uh, just going around seducing women, even though he wasn't an attractive man. That sort of thing. It's the 70s, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. This was Spiff. happening all the time. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, they like that. But um, yeah, born in Battersea. Right. And Buster Merrifield, probably my favourite. Uh, Uncle Alvin. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, South London. Didn't start acting since he was like 57 or something. Hope for all of us, isn't there? Mm, Maybe not I you. Think for you <laughs> Couple of books as well. Up the Junction by Nell Dunn, which is where the film uh, comes from. And the song, yeah. And the song, yeah. They did admit it was a direct link. And uh, The Borrowables, which I've never read like a kid's classic. Do you mean The Borrowers? <laughs> it's The Borrowables Trilogy. Oh. Um, by Michael De La Rabate. It's um, sort of mystical, magical kid's book series, but um, all set in Battersea. I was reading like the, just the outline of plots for each one. Like the third one opens with, with Battersea no longer a safe place for The Borrowables. And I was like, it's really immersed, yeah. isn't it? Right, so it's time to exit, Steve. Get to the river, innit? We're going to chop her out, innit, Steve? You know, we've gone past Clapham <laughs> Junction. Where we need to go, there are no trains. <laughs> the London heliport. Yeah, it's London's only heliport, and there's a reason for that. You imagine, like, people aren't really getting helicopters all over the place. Yeah, so there's helipads, but not heliports. Yeah, yeah. So this place, you can land your helicopter, but also store it, which is good, innit? Yeah, right. Can't you just... A bit of parking. 
Can't you just park it outside your house? <laughs> on top of your house until it starts to crumble underneath. Owned for um, a while by Harrods, which kind of gives away the whole game, isn't it? Yeah, I saw there's been a various owners over the years and Harrods is the only one I felt the need to make a note of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, as I say, looking at, at Battersea, we talked about the affluence of the area and it has been many things over the years of agricultural and industrial, but it is today literally a playground for rich people, isn't it? And that's a great example. Where are we going to put all these helicopters? We'll have to build a heliport. Where are we going to build it? On top of King's College Hospital? No. <laughs> Batsy. If you've enjoyed this episode, maybe you'll enjoy the Nine Elms episode, episode 67, or any others on southlandhardcore.com or iTunes. Southland Hardcore is part of the Holdfast Network. Visit holdfastnetwork.com for other tremendous podcasts. Steve, when's Wikipedia back? June. <laughs> hey.